Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of JewishDrinking.com. Today we have on Maharat Ruth Polinsky Friedman, and she is currently assistant rabbi at Ohav Shalom, D.C. What's your role? Associate rabbi, Maharat, whatever. There we go. That She graduated from Yeshiva Maharat, as you can tell by the title, in New York City. And she is a fellow podcaster. She created in the fall of 2019 a podcast called Life Imitates Torah, which is a weekly podcast that is about the Parsha. Do you have, uh, and so Maharat Freeman, do you have a, would you describe yourself as having a particular style in your podcast? Like, how would you describe it? What I really try to do is just look for something in the Parsha, hone in on one little detail or one dynamic that's at play, uh, explore it in more detail, and then just tease out a quick lesson, way that this applies um, to our lives as well. Um, I am of the firm belief that the Torah is the greatest book ever written, which is why um, the title of my podcast is Life Imitates Torah. Um, playing off of the phrase life imitates art or life imitates TV or whatever, um, because I really do think that one of the um, one of the many amazing things about the Torah is that when you look at it and you really comb through it, you can find all sorts of things that are still relevant today. Um, and so that's that's just what we try to go for. Every episode is between like 11 and 15 minutes long. You can sign up. You can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. oh. One of the things that I, I think is really funny and allows for ambiguity with JewishDrinking.com is that I say drinking, and even though the implication is supposed to be about alcohol, but the ambiguity allows for really any imbibing of any beverage, including water, milk, etc. So we're talking today about Miriam's Well, something I've heard of, not super, I'm not, I'm not really, in, I don't really know it that well. That's the honest truth. So... Maharat Freeman, so what, what do you have to, what knowledge can you drop on us about Miriam's Well? So actually, this is something that I studied with a bat mitzvah girl in my shul in preparation for her bat mitzvah. Um, and she, her chesed project is centering around water and water availability and the way that Israel is helping Africa with that, et cetera. And, um, and so we studied a few of the sources together and I just thought it was, it was kind of interesting, um, especially given what's happening in the world today with water. Uh, and so we, well, so in, in Parashat B'Shalach, right after um, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, of course, we have the famous Shirat Hayam, um, as Yashir Moshe, right, Moshe and, and the Israelites sing a song. And then afterwards, Miriam picks up her timbrel and also sings a song. And there is this interesting, um, not necessarily explicit, but juxtapositional, if that's a word, um, connection between Miriam in the Torah and water. And so the Gemara in Tani says, um, Rabbi Yossi um, Bar Rabbi Yehuda says that um, there were three, the translation is good sustainers that rose up for the Jewish people during the time of the Exodus, during the time in the wilderness, um, Moshe, Aharon, and Miriam. Um, and that God gave them each one gift um, that they then gave to the Jewish people. And those three gifts were the well of water, the pillar of the cloud, Amud Hanan, and the man. And um, for the well of water, the Gemara then says, that was given in the Miriam's merit. 
So the idea is that how did you, this enormous troop, <laughs> like group of, um, of not just people, but of animals and everything traveling through the wilderness for 40 years have access to water, right? Because we know most of the time they must have, if, if the fetching only happened a couple of times and they didn't have water, the assumption is, well, the rest of the time they did. Um, and so that Miriam, there was a well of water in Miriam's merit. Now, and also in the fifth parak of Avo, right? There's mention of well, uh, yeah. one of the ten things created on Shabbat Eve. Uh huh. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll look at that. So it also says there that that's one of the things that was created um, on the eve of Shabbos, and and it's in a group of things that are. Um, that's a good, I don't want to say supernatural, but sort of, I guess, like in the more mystical realm, um, like the mouth of the donkey, um, uh, uh, Bilam's donkey, and the mouth of the earth, as well as of Korach. So this well of Miriam, um, there's this connection between Miriam and water, especially because right after she dies, then they complain about there not being any water. And so what the Gemara then alleges is that when Miriam died, the well disappeared, which is why the people then complain that there's no water, um, but that, luckily, through Moshe and Aaron's merit, it returned. Um, and so that seems to be confined to the wilderness. And also, like we said, a logical thing to think that how are you going to have water? There must have been some magical access to water. We know there was magical access to food with the man. Um, so water also there must have been as well, right? Okay. Um, which is a nice idea, makes sense, etc. What I think is really, really interesting is then there's a Gemara in Shabbos um, when Rabbi Chia says, well, actually, if you want to see Miriam's well, here's what you do. Climb to the top of Har Carmel and look out, and you'll see a rock that looks like a sieve in the sea, right? A rock with, like, holes in it. Um, and that's Miriam's well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, and also, and then, so that's one interesting statement made about Miriam as well. And then the second is Rob says, a spring that is portable is Tahor. It's ritually pure. But then the Gemara says, what, what do you mean? A spring that is portable? Springs are in the ground. What can that possibly even mean, right? A spring of water is, it's like as connected to the ground as you can be. So what's a movable spring? Miriam's well. So this connection of, I think, first of all, trying to ground, pun intended, um, this, this spring, this Miriam's well, in literally, in nature, in the idea that it was in the ground, but also ascribing it this more mystical um, element. And for me, that the question to ask now is, why does Rebbe Chia say that you can still see Miriam's well? Right, if it looks like also a rock with, that, look, that has like, you know, like a sieve more, why? Like what's what? What is the point of looking out there and seeing it? And of course, there's a little bit of um, you know, I guess if, if you go, I'm not a a, a good uh, geographer, but I guess if you go to the top of Har Carmel, you can't actually really necessarily see the water. It's not totally clear where we understand it to be. Why do we hold on to this belief that somewhere you can see this water, this source of water? Where does it get to be associated with uh, Miriam? Like I know that in like I mentioned an avod, it just says the well mm -hmm. and what point does this well become you, you mentioned one of them was in her merit right was, mm -hmm. where was that again that's glamar and tani tani's it's one of the amorayim who mentioned that yeah yeah rabbi yosi rabbi yehuda uh he's a tana i think right yeah wait i'm just looking 
Yes, it's translated to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just looking at the way it formatted. Yes. Um, so yeah, so it seemed right. It's, uh, the the association with Miriam and Water happens pretty early, right? Um, I mean, yeah. I know that it's pretty obvious in Numbers twenty what, that juxtaposition between her death and the complaining about water. That's clear. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, one thing I heard long, long time ago is her name is so close. You remove one letter, you get mine. So mm -hmm. she's closely associated with water, which I get. And does it become, at what point do people start calling it Miriam's well? Or is it just people associate the, the well and Miriam and just, it's easy for people to call it Miriam's well. I get. I mean, I guess it's certainly by the time you get Rabbi Chia, right? How wrote sadly or oath be Rachel Miriam, right? Oh, if you want to see as well. So yeah. So there you go. An early Amora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And does it play much else in rabbinic slash midrashic literature? Is it more? Does it get played out more in medieval literature? Like, what's the development? Right. So um, I couldn't, I really could not find so much about it. Um, but there is one very interesting place where it arises um, in the Shulchan Aruch in Orachaim in 299.10. So um, I'll just read a, a little bit. Asur la so shumelacha. The halacha, the Shulchan Aruch is Asur la so shumelacha kodim shiyavdil. Right. You can't do any malacha after Shabbos until you make Havdalah. Right? But if you say, um, right, in the Amidah for Mariv, you can do work even if you didn't actually do Havdalah on a glass of wine. Um, right? And if you have to do it even earlier, you just say, Okay, fine. The Ramah jumps in and adds something really interesting about women here. So he says, nashim Right, so women who don't say Marav teach them to say Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lechol. Then he says, Biyeshomrim lidlot mayim bechol motzei Shabbat ki beira shel Miriam sovev kol motzei Shabbat kol habeirot. Um, and then he says, right? So he quotes <laughs> the opinion from the Kolbo um, that some people said that every Mote Shabbos, you should go out and draw water from the well because Miriam's well sort of surrounds all the other wells on Mote Shabbos. And um, whoever drinks from that water will be healed from whatever befalls them. So the Kolbo preserves, has some citation of this minhag. Now, minhagim like that, you know, I, I have, I've never been the type of person to recommend to someone, hey, you should do this kind of <laughs> non-scientific uh, thing, you know, maybe you'll heal because, I, you know, I, it's just not my style for a variety of reasons. But um, taking that step back, just like looking at the Gemara and Shabbos, where um, Rabbi Chia, you know, wants, offers this idea that Miriam's well is sustaining the water in the land of Israel, right, by Har Carmel. Now we have in Europe, your local well is being supported by Miriam's well every Motzei Shabbos. Wow. Yeah. So what is that saying about um, the Jewish connection to, to water and our sources of water? Right? I mean, it's basically saying that we are all united um, by some mythical um, 
I guess, source of water, right? Our water is somehow um, both, I think, united and also imbued with some kind of um, religious or nationalistic purpose that traces all the way back to the Torah. Wow. Yeah. And then I think the real question to consider is, um, what does that say about water, right? If, what, if your water is somewhat miraculous, does that give you a greater appreciation for it? Or does that give you a lower appreciation for it, right? Especially if you're living now, I guess we're in 2020, um, and water, you know, is, we, we know that um, water, you know, some are saying that water is going to become the most fought over natural resource in the coming decades, right? And that, I mean, it could lead to catastrophic warfare. Do you see yourself, do you see water as a natural resource that then it's within our responsibility to preserve? Or if there's a miraculous element that makes it holier, but also maybe allows you to rely on God more for things and sort of um, recruit, recuse or, or minimize your own role within it. And I, that's you know, one of the questions that I, I think is like really interesting to consider. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? I'm a cons- I, I mean, it's an interesting minhag of like, oh, well, we're gonna have water wherever saturday nights is a great time especially as healing properties i i don't know i mean the psychological aspect is certainly a fascinating piece of that i don't have i don't know what to do i mean i liked your stuff of the <laughs> appreciation of like of quantity you know when you have greater quantity how much do you really appreciate it versus a, a smaller amount mm-hmm. i mean it's also i mean the rebbe piece is really i'm just going to go backwards but the rebbe piece was fascinating of oh well we still have it even though it really was just discussed, you know, during their journey in the desert. And now he's saying, oh, but it actually, it's still around. It's just, you just go over there. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to move because I can see that the sun is kind of making my lighting a bit interesting. Um, right. But we don't, we don't really see that. Like no one's saying, well, the, I mean, certainly I haven't heard that there are opinions like, oh, the man is still somewhere. Right. Like the man, I mean, I guess, you know, with the, Chala, we hearken back to that a little bit, but it's certainly not literal, right? We're right. Never, right. We're not saying it falls from the sky somewhere. Right. Um, I mean, the closest thing we get to anything about the, rel- the contemporariness of man is in Bracho, where we have the Brisa that man is a sixtieth of honey. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's the opposite. The honey is a sixtieth of man. Uh-huh. And that's, the, that's the closest that we get to any sort right. of temporary experience of man. Yeah. But, right. Is there any other thing in our lives that we see sort of connecting directly back to the exodus in that sense? Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it's, to- it's also funny because water is something that we have on a, I mean, it's a daily thing that we, that we experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, mine, even mm-hmm. though it's a stand in for some sort of sustenance at the same time, it really was just those sojourning in the wilderness years. That was it. Right. Yeah, and then you look at Australia right now. So some of you may know I, I really love animals. So you'll have to forgive me that my, my the first place my heart goes is to, um, I saw footage um, of a, someone, a volunteer with like, uh, you know, sort of a baby bottle filled with water, um, giving water to a koala bear who was like, you know, because the, the koalas and kangaroos in Australia from the wildfires are being decimated by like the thousands. Um, and I guess, uh, uh, some I know it's, <laughs> 
is hor. I mean, it's hor. Everything about it. The wildfires in Australia right now is horrific. Um, you know, but just this this poor bear that's like escaping fire and and you know, I don't. I think my understandings are kind of timid creatures. But if someone has a bottle of water, right, um, that's where you go. And so, uh, you know, there's so much in Judaism about about rain and um, praying for rain and praying that the ground is is you know given life through water but this is literally us given life through water um and through our bodies and so you know there's just a, there's a little a little space for that also yeah and so i think like i said to me like the ethic that i would want to cultivate through this is the balance of um personal responsibility um because you know certainly the first time in Shmo when the people complain there's no water god says oh okay great so here's some water right it's not like <laughs> There's no, you don't have to do anything to earn it. Um, but that that's a very dangerous narrative for us to, to keep in today's society. Um, and one that I think, you know, will get us in an enormous amount of trouble. Uh, I'm going to go backwards, which is, I wonder if a part of it, in addition to the, the close literary reads, like, like I mentioned earlier, Numbers 20, when she dies, that we, they're, they're out of water. So there's a connection of having Miriam having water and the opposite being true. I also wonder if some of it is twofold. One, Mo her, her brothers have roles, right? Moshe is this direct connection, and to some degree, Aharon also with God and, and being the leader, and then Aharon as being the, the voice piece, the, the mouthpiece for that, and also having some connection with some direct interactions with God, whereas Miriam's just sort of there, and maybe it was what is she providing? She's not providing the leadership. She's not providing the Torah. So what is she providing? Oh, well, she can provide the the hydration. So, which is, ne is necessary, right? Just as, whatever, you can't live without water. That's, and certainly not in the desert. Um, so that's one thing that I'm thinking of. And a very different aspect is also how differently her relationship is with water than with Moshe, right? So... With Moshe, with the first, uh, with the plagues involving water, he couldn't do anything. To, he wasn't the one who was the executor of those water-related um, uh, mako with those plagues. It had to be Aharon who had to had to do those because he had a he was protected by water. Right. Right. And so Aharon had to be the ones to do bad stuff to water, basically, with the plagues, and then she could have more of a. A pro providing, like she pro helped provide the water, whereas Moshe was being provided for by the water, and then Aharon was sort of, he did bad stuff with the water. And so they have, it's fascinating how each of those three siblings have different relationships with water in the Torah. Mm hmm That's interesting. That's really, really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Right, and then Miriam is standing by the water, right? Wow. That's yeah. interesting. Cool. Right, and she's, she, her relationship with water is nurturing that she helps nurture, mm -hmm. whereas Moshe is being nurtured by and being sustained by. But he's a recipient, and she helps provide. Mm. Right. So, and then it's, I mean, it's fascinating when you look at the plagues at the first three, uh, I think it's the first three, Moshe is not, he's not the executor on, because he has a relationship with both the water and with the dirt, whereas he ex executes the last seven. Mm. Another thing, and this is like sort of going back to my animal's point, I just, I happened, um, to be listening to a recent um, episode of Radio Lab. Do you listen to Radio Lab, the podcast? I don't. I know that it's good. I just okay. Haven't. No, no, no. It's fine. So, um, it's the subject is um, 
this feels ridiculous to be bringing up on a Torah podcast, but it's actually the human um, rear end. Um, but it's about how it helps us to um, to run. And long story short, they end up talking about how um, actually people, humans, it's counterintuitive. The humans can sort of travel for longer and sustain ourselves longer in a hot environment than an animal can because animals have such um, inferior cooling off systems, right? Like the panting and the this, right? So maybe they can get like a shorter distance faster, but they have to stop and they have to drink and they have to cool down. Um, and also, you know, of course the Israelites are traveling, not as we said, not just with people, but with animals as well. And so, you know, it's something that those of us who um, don't, you know, raise animals um, <laughs> may not really think about, but the, uh, just how often you would have, if you're schlepping through the desert, you know, in the summer with your, whatever animals, you know, how often you have to stop, water them, cool them down. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, water was just such an integral part of that experience. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maharat Friedman, for your time, for your thoughts, your insights on Miriam's Well today. And I hope, I hope you enjoy your time here in Jewish Of Dream. course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you. And L'chaim. Okay, on a fast day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know the irony. I know. <laughs>